When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for a bigger job, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Wednesday, the pot of tea is on the go, it's been drunk and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we haphazardly call the noughties and to the football of the time. Yes, it's Wednesday, it's that time again. Welcome to the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. Today, we've got a birthday, it's Oberfemi Martin's birthday and he's 36 today, so happy birthday Oberfemi Martin's. We're going to Italy for the table never lies, our brand new feature on this esteemed podcast and we're going to Italy for our first segment of today and the Inter Milan dominance of the late 2000s. So to begin talking about Inter Milan in the late 2000s and ultimately the 2010 season where they won of everything of course, we have to go back to my personal first exposure to Inter Milan was probably the Galazzo days on Channel 4 in the late 90s but first and probably more personally was the two legs of a Champions League quarter-final in March 1999 when my team, Manchester United, beat them 3-1 on aggregate to reach the semi-finals. From that team, there's the likes of Ronaldo, who I remember just coming back from injury. There's Diego Simeone, who had that bitter feud with David Beckham. Roberto Baggio was there. Ivan Samarano with that 1 plus 8 on the back of his shirt because obviously Ronaldo had to take his number 9 shirt a couple of seasons a season before. From that second leg in the San Siro, there's only one survivor going into Roberto Mancini's team and it is of course, no surprise, Javier Zanetti. They've, the last Scudetto that they won was in 1989 so it's a long time coming for a team that a former Champions League winner in Inter, you know, one of Italy's only Champions League winners alongside obviously AC Milan and Juventus. You've got Christian Vieri who's 
come and gone leading the line. Ronaldo was lost obviously to injury for large swathes of his inter-career after the 98 World Cup sold to Real Madrid replaced by Adriano. Obviously Obafemi Martins which we'll talk about later on also played for Inter Milan in the time before Roberto Mancini and was obviously sold by Mancini later on down the line. They'd lost a Coppa Italia final to a double winning Sven coach in Lazio in 2000 and they bottled the league two years later by losing to the same Lazio side 4-2, Svenless then of course. They lost 4-2 on the final day. They went from first in a position of power to third in a single day and it just went worse and worse and worse for Inter Milan. They embarrassingly failed to qualify for the Champions League against Helsingborgs in 2000. They'd bizarrely gone out of away goals to AC Milan in the 2003 Champions League semi-finals. They'd been humiliated by Arsenal 5-1 at home in the group stages, failing to qualify from that group after a draw in Kiev. Kiev, a team that will uh, become synonymous with Jose Mourinho's time at the club as well. They'd also had a quarter-final with Milan, abandoned after hooliganism and that famous picture of Milanese players from opposite sides watching on as the smoke envelops the San Siro. They'd gone out on away goals to Villarreal. They'd won successive coppers though against Roma in 2005 and 2006. Roberto Mancini had finally got a hold of Inter Milan and brought them success. And finally, despite finishing 16 points behind Juventus, they won Serie A. Because that is, of course, Inter Milan were one of the only big teams in Italy to not be embroiled by the Calcio Poli scandal. So as a result, Juventus were demoted into rose to a top spot. Nobody would win the league in 2000, as the history books state, and Inter would take Juve's title in 2006. They would then win another league title and another league title in Roberto Mancini's time at the San Siro. Is it his biggest achievement? It was a bottling team, really, pining. Obviously, the main thing was 2002, where they bottled the league on the final day. Um, they were pining over Ronaldo. They didn't have the world's best player even when he was in the team because of you know, his long-standing injury issues. But then Mancini dragged that team up. They won two cups, a league, and then began a dominance that pre-2010 ended you know, the, the, the super team era in Europe with your Bayern Munich, PSG's Juventus, a dominance that really was rarely seen in Europe at the time. You had, obviously, the likes of in the top five leagues, of, uh, at least you've got Real Madrid in the 80s, Barcelona in the, the 90s, who went on the sort of run of like five, four or five league titles in a row. Marseille at the time, late 80s as well. But in Italy, the probably closest we came was AC Milan at the same time, winning back-to-back European Cups. Inter would never win back-to-back European Cups, at least in this time anyway, back to the 60s where they did it under Helenio Herrera and Roberto Mancini's sticking point with the Inter board of Marathi was um, his rumouring to be replaced by Jose Mourinho in the build-up to a Champions League tie with Liverpool they would lose Mancini lost his rag he resigned he retracted it did a massive U-turn and then was sacked and then obviously replaced by Jose with uh, Mourinho stuck in the fires in the press by using Milanese dialect to uh, to say that he was not coming to Inter Milan, which was, you know, typical Mourinho mind games. Mancini, though, would be, he'd move on to Manchester into the Premier League, um, ended Manchester City's long wait for silverware with the FA Cup in 2011, the Premier League the year after, 
Um, he came back to Inter Milan, but he wasn't successful, nor was he in Galatasaray or Zenit, St. Petersburg, really, in Europe at least. He now manages the Italian national team, where he's he's sort of dragging them back for, from um, sort of the wilderness, really. They didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup, which is just an aberration, really, for a team like Italy, who've won four World Cups. And they now look to be with the European Championships next summer one of the uh, one of the dark horses let's say and it is sort of akin to him dragging Inter Milan out of the darkness in the mid 2000s when they were playing they were flitting between UEFA Cup and Champions League football bringing them out of the darkness into the dominance of you know three league titles in his three years at the club and uh, th- in his four years at the club I doubt we'll see that sort of dominance from from Italy but he's, he's the very similar paths but let's push on. Zlatan Ibrahimovic came in the summer of 2006 as well as Mykon, who would form a, who would probably become more famous, at least in Britain, for being absolutely rinsed by Gareth Bale. But he would become a European champion, of course. Patrick Vieira would come in, and World Cup winner Fabio Grosso would come in at left back. You got Hernan Crespo coming in, Balotelli would follow, and they would destroy the league by 22 points in Juventus's absence. They only lost to Roma on the 32nd of uh, 38 match days. So, and Roma scuppered the double win too, um, losing 7-4 on aggregate in the Coppa Italia. 2008 would mean a retention of the title, as we've uh, already said, going 25 games unbeaten, top for most of the season. It really was the dominance, you know, like no other really in Italy since probably AC Milan. Mourinho would come in. And there was a trend of round of 16 finishes in the Champions League. Mourinho's arrival didn't stop that. They lost to Manchester United um, at Old Trafford and then were out of the tournament. They'd um, lost to Valencia on away goals, lost to Liverpool, lost to Manchester United. Juventus had returned in the league, but Inter had easily held them off. They'd, um, they had less points than before with Juve's return, but still conquered the league by 10 points, You know, which is still a big achievement at the time. And then the summer of 2009 was a real change. Mourinho was entering his second season, his fabled second season where he always gets, you know, results and trophies, more importantly. And it, the transfer season, it was quite surprising, really, because Zlatan Ibrahimovic, like, he's gone on to be, like, one of the best centre-forwards of his generation. He was swapped for Samuel Eto'o, who's probably just about leaving his peak, really. And then you've got Lucio coming in, Goran Pandev, and the Genoa double of uh, Diego Melito and Thiago Motta. It seemed like a step down Ibrahimovic to Eto, um, but it was clearly a, a move from the future to the present with Leonardo Bonucci leaving as well. Wesley Snyder instantly made himself known, performing well in a derby debut win over Milan in a 4 0 thrashing, and Mourinho cultivated this sort of strong togetherness in in Milan and he was a big Argentine contingent you know Walter Samuel Zanetti of course Esteban Cambiasso they'd all have barbecues together obviously Argentina known for its steak and meat and they still have a whatsapp group we know with all the players and stuff so it shows that Mourinho had made this huge bond I mean Roberto Mancini is probably more known for being aloof and a bit frenetic obviously Mourinho is too <laughs> at times when he wants to be uh, but in this in this sort of era he was a lot warmer a lot of warmer manager than sort of he is nowadays in his sort of tenure at Man United and 
Real Madrid and end of his second tenure at Chelsea. But the result was still the same. They won the league, finishing with five wins and a 1-0 away win at Siena to wrap up the title. Diego Melito was the hero in the Coppa Italia final and he scored in each of the knockout stage Champions League rounds. He'd really graduated from being a goal scorer at sort of like a middling Genoa club, sort of Serie A 10th, 11th, 12th sort of position to become one of the best attackers in the league really. And then they got into the first Champions League final, that famous 1-0 defeat but progression at the new Camp after beating Barcelona 3-1. There's a fantastic uh, masterclass video on YouTube with the coach's voice that Jose Mourinho did. And I feel as though it was him at his inspired best. He did flip between a 4-4-2 diamond back at home in the in the league and cup and they'd come with a 4-2-3-1. Samuel Eto and Goran Pandev as defensive wingers. Eto would drift into the midfield, into the centrally with um, Molito. And even with the backs against the wall, the Barcelona side looking as a in the peak really messes Javi Iniesta Inter went down to 10 men 1-0 down it looks for all the world that Barcelona just going to absolutely destroy the Champions League again and they would be Bayern Munich waiting for them in the final so it was sort of seen as a yeah this is going to happen they're going to retain the Champions League the first team to do so and the first team to retain the European Cup since Arrigo Sacchi's Milan in 1990 but of course Molito scores twice at the burnabout against Bayern. Mourinho's courted by Real Madrid, stays in Madrid, has to console Marco Materazzi um, because of that that strong togetherness that he'd uh, cultivated at Inter and he didn't want him to leave and he's there crying on him in the burnabout. But Mourinho stays in Spain and, of course, the rest is history. But without all that, it wouldn't be possible without another bit of Mourinho magic in Kiev, as we spoke of earlier, Dynamo Kiev, intrinsically linked to Mourinho's time at Inter Milan. They were three and a half games into the group stages. Inter hadn't won in the tournament yet. There were three draws, three games, three draws. They were one nil down to an Andrei Shevchenko goal in 2009 in uh, Ukraine. Jose changes it to a back three, puts Walter Samuel in midfield with Thiago Motta, and the two signings, Diego Molito and Wesley Snyder. Score late on to win 2-1, two goals in the last four minutes. They would lose at the new Camp, but beat Ruben Kazan, remember them, in the last game to qualify with just nine points. So they were still underdogs. Mourinho goes to Chelsea, beats his former club, goes to CSK in Moscow, beats them, and obviously the Barcelona game, as we've already spoken to. I think it is Jose Mourinho's happiest time as a football manager, really. He obviously won the... UEFA Cup and the Champions League back-to-back with Porto in 2003 and 2004, which sort of brought him to the attention of the world. Chelsea he proved he wasn't one of the bottle. He was a special one, considered 15 goals in a single season in the Premier League, two leagues back-to-back, three cups. No team had done that since Liverpool in the 80s that weren't named Manchester United. So he's proven himself. He'd taken a year out after whether he was sacked or he left in a, you know, who knows, uh, left Chelsea, sorry. And then he comes to Inter Milan off the back of three league titles in a row for Mancini, takes them to the next level, treble. And Real Madrid, perhaps, um, perhaps it was a weaker league at this time, but they definitely had stronger title opposition in Barcelona. As we've already said, Barcelona were this team at the time that were head and shoulders, above the rest they've 
romp to Champions League wins either side of Inter's uh, triumph in 2010. So it would have been sort of like this Bayern Munich, Ajax, Real Madrid of the 50s dominance, but then still being dominant back home. And they would have rubber stamped the being the best team of best club team of all time with that 2010 win. So for Mourinho to go to Real Madrid, win a league and a Copa del Rey in the time of Pep's Barcelona is probably for me his greatest achievement. Even though the treble, you know, treble is like seen as the ultimate, and only a number of teams have done it. You know, from Ajax, PSV, Celtic, Man United, Barcelona twice, Bayern twice, etc. I think that winning Scott, the way that he won the league with more than 100 points, more than 100 goals in a number of seasons, I think that's a bigger achievement somehow. He would return to Chelsea, obviously. League and League Cup double all fell apart in his third season. Same with Manchester United, where he's where he won another couple of cups, didn't he? And he said his biggest achievement of his career was finishing second with that Man United team. And the more we go on, the more we think, yeah, you're probably right there, Jose. And he's not had any success at Spurs yet, but is he on the way to something special there? Who knows? Um, Inter would finish second in Mourinho's absence and have yet to return to a Copa final. They returned to the podium in 2020 for the first time in nine years with Antonio Conte, who looks as though he's building the sort of Similar vibes. If he gets, if he keeps, keeps himself in a job and doesn't like irk the owners or the chairman or whatever, then he could be building one of the better teams in Europe and Italy, in my opinion, anyway. We'll be shortly back with Inter um, in the table never lies, but first we've got to discuss a birthday after this break. Are you a massive football nerd like me? Do you like quizzes? If you answered yes to the both of these, then I'm pleased to tell you about Teammates, a sponsor of What If Football and the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. Climb the divisions, win the cups, all by linking teammates. A spring chicken with no knowledge of when football didn't exist before 1992? Try the modern section. Too old and not up to date with your Mbappes or your Camavingas? Try vintage mode. It's a football quiz to suit everybody's needs. At teammates underscore app on Twitter teammatesapp.co.uk for monthly quizzes and merch and teammates on the app store look for the red and blue football teammates it really is a quiz like no other and we're back and it's happy birthday happy birthday to you Oberfemi Martins 36 today it's a nice piece of symmetry he was part of the Inter Milan team before Mancini sold him of course Um, in a weird quirk of his career he played 88 league games and scored 28 league goals for both Inter Milan and Newcastle. Uh, the difference being that he spent two years, two or three years at um, Newcastle, five years at Inter Milan, obviously breaking into European football at the time at Inter. Um, a couple of highlights from his Inter Milan career, beating Paolo Maldini, the great Paolo Maldini in the air, racing beyond him, scoring in that Champions League tie in 2003. Uh, that was a big facet of his um, of his game, you know, his haphazard description pace and power but you know he's shouldering Maldini off the ball racing beyond him you know he's he's a bit more than pace and power to beat you know one of the best defenders that's ever lived um, he could he, he had it all really he could poach he could fight in the air he's got a number of headers in his time at Newcastle especially and he was perhaps more dangerous on the shoulder of the defender making the most of his pace but he did have that composure at the end 
More so, I think I realised when he'd moved to the MLS and Seattle Sounders, probably less pressure on him. He did have that more dinked finish and more lobbed finish. He's seen that, of course, at his time at Newcastle as well. But he he could have... It is a cliche, but he could score any type of goal that you wanted him to score. There's a, a lot of goals that he scored at Inter Milan where it's just literally just stood two metres from goal, poach, clip the ball in the net and... For Martins and Newcastle at the time when he signed for the club in 2006, it was a completely different direction to, you know, the English archaic Alan Shearer and Michael Owen. Michael Owen, of course, was injured when he came in. Um, Shearer obviously retired and he would never reach the heights of his time at Inter Milan, which would be his most prolific in Europe in the 2004-05 season, scoring 22 goals in 46 games. At his time at Inter Milan, he loved a goal against Milan and Juventus. I think he scored the most goals in his career against Atalanta or Cagliari. Seemed to seen score a lot of goals against just sort of those sort of clubs. He um, sealed the 2006 Coppa Italia final second leg versus Roma in one of his final matches for the club. Um, but his, in the end, for Newcastle, his form would taper off. He left in 2009, went to Wolfsburg for half a year, went to Ruben Kazan. He Came back to England in 2011, played only six times in a loan spell for Birmingham, but he'd probably be fondly remembered because he won a trophy in England with Birmingham City, scoring the winner in the League Cup nonetheless. There's one of his only two goals, funnily enough. Uh, Birmingham's first trophy since 1963 in 2011. It was um, since been in the MLS with Seattle Sounders. Chinese Super League, uh, playing in Shanghai, and he still plays today. And in Wuhan, of all places, in 2020. <laughs> so, is he an unfulfilled potential, really? Um, he's never really got it at the world stage with his country. Um, Nigeria haven't really, they didn't really follow up on that golden period in the 90s, we you know, with the with the knockout phase matches in the World Cups in 94 and 98, obviously winning the Olympic gold in 96. They didn't qualify for the 2006 World Cup and with Martin's age in 2014, it meant his only World Cup was in 2010 and they will whisk her away from qualifying, obviously Lukaku missing that guilt-edged chance. Um, they only got a point from South Korea and lost to Argentina and Greece, shockingly the latter one. Um, he would score three goals across two AFCONs um, where, again, the Nigeria sort of Underachieved. They finished third a couple of times, got to a quarterfinal, and then shockingly didn't even qualify for the 2012 tournament. He's up there in terms of Nigerian forwards alongside your Kanus and your Yakubus. And yeah, he's just a fantastic, fantastic player. The celebration is, for me, obviously, it's probably the best celebration in terms of acrobatics, you might say. Beats Lomano, Lua, Lua, and Nani hands down. Definitely beats Robbie Keane for all the flips and stuff. And that goal, if he's, I think it's a Milan a goal in a Milan derby, and he does must do do about 12, 13 flips, and every, all the crowds are going bananas and stuff because it's a home game, so to speak, in a Milan derby. Um, aside from his time at Newcastle, my memories of him were playing as him on sort of like FIFA's of around FIFA 11, 12, 13 when he played for Seattle Sounders. Xbox was the sponsor, just burned, it was an era for FIFA where I fell out of love with it because it was just pace and that was it, and Martin's up front, he's, he's when he was, at, as I say, he, was, he had more of a delicate finish as opposed to like the pure thunder bastards that he'd score against, score for Newcastle, I remember one 
at White Hart Lane where it's like 20 yards out and just bang, he hits it before the crowd or the goalkeeper even knows he's touched it. It's mental, that goal. And obviously, acrobatic in terms of his celebrations, but he scored like a really weird two-legged overhead kick at Bolton, I think, which sticks in the memory. And aside from all the, like, the acrobatics, the spectacular goals, he's he had the intelligence to like pull out wide usually on the left channel cutting on his right foot and select the right finish so you've got your goal against Tottenham the Thunderbolt you've got the little dink you've got a lovely lob I think he's got another lob against Bolton perhaps at the Reebok he loves scoring against Bolton or like a uh, low drilled shot he's part of that run Newcastle at the time when he was there were sort of like they'd just come down from the Champions League they were always seem to be playing on Channel 5 Friday night so I always remember the Channel 5 scoreboard at the top left I know it's weird I'm weird uh, but yeah he always used to score goals in, in sort of those campaigns sort of mid 2000s late 2000s scoring in the UEFA Cup as it was known at the time and just a fantastic player I wish we'd have seen more of him in the Premier League really apart from he obviously had that little spell at Birmingham in a f- three years at, at Newcastle but I, f- I think we missed out on him it, in England at least I think his peak was just about finishing or just about he probably didn't probably didn't choose the right team he'd, I don't know he'd, maybe Tottenham would have been a better team for him with the players that they were getting whether that push for the Champions League that they'd have got in 2006 maybe they'd have built on that if they'd have signed Martins in that in that summer but for me I wouldn't call it unfulfilled potential I call it underrated um, he did play in he won a Coppa Italia for Inter Milan played at the Champions League in a number of years, represented his country well in Af- African Nations Cups, getting to semi-finals on two occasions and for me one of my favourite attackers, purely because of how explosive he was, the finishing the first thing that sticks in your mind is the celebration as well the absolute hammer blows that he'd deal out from you know 20 yards, 25 yards and just another all-round great centre-forward. So we'll be back after this break and we'll be talking the Serie A again. Yep, we're back. It's November the 1st, 2000. The table of the Serie A reads four games. So Serie A started late back then. So here we are, 20, 20 years in the past. Let's have a look at the league table for Serie A, shall we? So the only undefeated teams, as I can see now, are Udinese and Atalanta at the top, as well as Fiorentina in seven, just outside the European places. Udinese and Atalanta. Atalanta obviously not the team that they are now, where they look just insane three scoring, just monsters of both European and Italian football. Udinese were they were a UEFA Cup team sort of mid-table around this time. They both drop off, obviously. Udinese would fall back to 12th from their unbeaten start. And they continued that unbeaten start at this um at this weekend with a 2-1 win in Turin which you know Juventus there in 5th again they just gotten over Marcello Lippi they'd had Carlo Ancelotti in and he'd gone and they'd end with you know sort of like a pointless win at home to Atalanta 
would qualify for Europe again after missing out. And that day, where they beat Atalanta, June the 17th, confirmed a Serie A title race that went right down to the wire again. Roma confirmed their first Scudetto in a long, long time, where they beat Parma 3-1. And if you've ever played Championship Manager 2001-2, you'll remember this Roma team. They were the best team on the game. Vincenzo Montella was just unstoppable. He had Marco Del Vecchio, Cafu, Walter Samuel, Vincent Candela on the left, Daniele Tomasi, obviously Francesco Totti and Batigol, who were just, it was a phenomenal team and one of the best of the decade. Michael Cox named them as the 10th best team of the decade and we'll, no doubt we'll cover them more so on a future episode. And you've got Parma, one of my favourite teams at the time from watching, you know, Galazzo with, uh, with my gran on a Saturday morning. I always used to watch Galazzo and Parma were, they had you know, Enrico Chiesa, you know, Cannavaro, Buffon, Taram. You, you can reel the list of legends that, you know, they had at the time. Crespo, they would be demoted to the fourth tier and come back to Serie A in recent times, but this is a team that were UEFA Cup finalists and UEFA Cup winners in 95. Um, they would earn a spot in the Champions League, you know, recovering from their start of ninth they would earn a spot in the Champions League and were 12 months removed from that second UEFA Cup win in 99 Inter's post start finally got going with a 2-0 win of uh, Champions Roma um, eventual Champions Roma this was the season of Robbie Keane in Milan as um, Inter Milan was sort of in a period where they were as we've spoken of earlier in the episode mourning that Ronaldo injury and sort of trying to stick a plaster over a gaping wound where they were just bringing in a glut of centre forward. You had Alvaro Ricoba never really hit the heights despite all of the promise that he brought. Crespo would come in and they never seemed to replace him until even Martins was probably a better fit than, you know, Robbie Keane in that time. AC Milan across Milan, um, or even in the same house, so to speak. Their mini decline had continued from their title win, sort of like just over a year previously in 1999. They would lose again this weekend, Parma. Patrick and Bomber scoring the goals for Parma this game week. They would recover from 12th though, and they would play UEFA Cup football the following season, finishing in 6th. So... The decline continued. Obviously, Carlo Ancelotti would bring them back to prominence with three Champions League finals in four years, but that was just around the corner yet. They hadn't got to that point yet. Still had, obviously, Paolo Maldini, of course, still in the team. I think Costa Curta was still there, and you'd have, obviously, the likes of Perlo, Kaka, all the, all them would come in. Atalanta, though, as we said, it wasn't, they weren't the team, they definitely weren't the team that they are now, but it would be one of their better seasons at the time. Their second place in the early stages of this season, reverting to seventh, and I think they just must have missed out on um, European football at the time. We bid goodbye to the likes of Vicenza, Napoli, Bari, who of course are down there at the time, and after the fourth match day, they would all go down to Serie B at the end of this season, and of the teams in this division now, obviously it's a it's a bigger division now with 20 teams, but then within, in an 18-team league, you've got five teams that aren't there at the minute. Lecce and Brescia, they're in Serie B, they've just been relegated last season. Vicenza in Serie B and all the way down in Serie C, you've got Perugia and Barrett, staples of the Galazzo era. 
that I caught, sort of caught the back end of in the late 90s, early 2000s. But yeah, they were always there, as were Brescia, obviously. Perlo, Roberto Baggio to the end of his career. But that's where they are now. Sandro Tonali now, who's obviously just left in the same ilk as Andrea Perlo going to AC Milan. We'll be discussing another league table. Perhaps we'll go to... We'll stick around in 2000. Perhaps we'll talk about the Deportivo team of the time next week in La Liga. Or perhaps we'll go to take a look at Bayern Munich and Bundesliga because Bayern Munich in 2000 were on the cusp of winning or adding to their three European Cups from the 70s in 2001. Stick around to find out which one we'll be covering next week. And we're back. So before we leave the comfortable inertia of this footballing world, on this footballing YouTube channel, on this footballing podcast, we've got to give you a 2000s trivial teaser. So big shout outs to our three followers who got the teaser correct last week. Lelouch, our good friends at Teammates app and questionable football quizzes on Twitter all got this correct. It was a left back. It was a player who'd been managed by Carlo Ancelotti, Paul Jewell. He'd played with Jimmy Bullard, Emil Heske, Gravison, Yakubu, Alex Awobi. It was, of course, it couldn't be anybody else, Leighton Baines. So congratulations to our boys there on Twitter who got it correct. I think I've got a harder one for you this week, though. So he's a centre forward. He's been managed by Harry Redknapp and Alan Perran. He's played alongside Marcus Babel, Chris Kirkland, Gary Cahill, Didier Drogba and Gabby Agbonlahor. Managed by Redknapp, managed by Perran, played with Babel, Kirkland, Cahill, that's Gary Cahill, Drogba and Agbonlahor. If you know the answer, tweet us at whatif underscore football. Nope. Tweet us at whatif underscore YouTube. Leave a comment in the video down below. Let me know if you get the right answer. I'll give you a shout out next week if you are correct. Next week, we'll be back with another Table Never Lies, of course. We'll have a look at the instant classic Premier League fixture, Leeds 4, Liverpool 3. Look at the heady days of Leeds United under Peter Ridsdale um, in 2000-2001. We'll be also looking at the other side of that coin, which will probably make Leeds fans very happy. And Manchester United failing in the Champions League in the same era between 2000 and 2005, failing to add to their Champions League tally under Sir Alex Ferguson in the first half of that decade. Elsewhere on the channel, we've got the Premier League season of 97-98, Real Madrid, class of 92, Gerard Slip, Ballon d'Or and FIFA 99 is going to get a review. So keep your eyes peeled on the channel for that one. I'm at whatif underscore YouTube on Twitter. Tell us the trivial teaser answers. Give us your memories of the Serie A season in 2001, that Roma team, that beautiful Roma team, Inter Milan, that domineering Inter Milan team of the late 2000s, or some memories from Obafemi Martin's campaign as a Newcastle player, as an Inter Milan player, or even beyond in the MLS or in China. We'll see you next week.
Social Podcast Network.